Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. On April 1st, Jeff Rosenstock posted a photo of his No Dream album cover, but it had a two-tone rude boy and rude girl dancing on top of the house. It was renamed Ska Dream. The only description provided was the date 420. Was it an April Fool's joke? Was there actually going to be a Ska Dream on 420, complete with punny song titles like The Rudy of Breathing and Leave It to the Ska? It turns out the April Fool's joke was the fake out. Not only was Ska Dream real, but it was a brilliant reworking of his already amazing No Dream record. And with guests galore, Angelo Moore, Mike Park, Jer, Laura Stevenson, and members of Pup, Kay Tanada, AJJ, and Def Heaven. On today's episode of In Defense of Ska, Jeff joins us to talk about this amazing record and why Ska isn't a joke, or at least in the way that mainstream culture continues to insist that it is. Jeff's so prolific writing songs that I feel like the last record of his that I really spent a lot of time with was Vacation. Oh, wow, really? That was a while ago. Well, he's gotten even better. His solo stuff is fantastic. Yeah, I keep dipping in, but he's so prolific that I have a hard time keeping up. When I interviewed him for my book, one of the things that came up was his songwriting process. And he told me that he sees songs completely fully formed. And once he got to a point in Arrogant Sons of Bitches where he had like four track recording capability, where he could fully demo songs out, it was like he was finally able to write songs the way he wanted to because he could just write every single part out with midis and stuff. That's insane. I can't imagine being able to do that. That's like some Beethoven type stuff. And you really see how as he's gotten better and gotten older, he's really just gotten like more able to do that in, in better ways. And he did it on the Ska Dream. There's so many intricate parts in Ska Dream. I love all the inside Ska jokes on Ska Dream. They're all like musical. It's all snippets of things where it's like, oh, you know this? Remember this? Every time I listen to it, I hear a new one. Yeah, I mean, obviously I heard Nightclub. That was very overt, but I had read that there was a Suicide Machines riff, but I didn't hear it after three listens. So I had to like find out where it was, listen really closely. And I was like, oh, that's so obvious. I can't believe I missed that little Suicide Machines lick. Incredible. So... Your guitarist, Mike Huguenor. Yes. My friend. Yes. He told me about something called Shit Finger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know about Shit Finger. Uh, well, Shit Finger, so Bob the Music Industry, we were on tour with Lesson Jake. 
and they're nice to us. We were really pretty rowdy, like throwing up out the back of the van. There was a night, I, I, I believe it was Richmond, and we just, like, I don't know, we just kind of this series of escalating dares where we're like, we'll play your encore as Goldfinger. And they're like, oh, I bet, I bet you won't. As, and, um, and we were like, yeah, we will. And we'll, we will only listen to the song one time. I don't know, actually know if we might not have been allowed to listen to the song. Uh, anybody in Bombs could be mad at me. Maybe we didn't listen to the song. I don't know. Um, anyway, it was maybe we all got to listen to one time all together. That might have been it. And then that was it. And then we went on stage for their encore and we played Mabel. Well, we went on and like we were fucking like we were hammered. We were like drunk hammered to the point where like it just seemed like this was not going to happen. And I think Roger or somebody was like coming up to try and save us. And then we we're like, nah, we got it. We're kidding. And we went, how deep is your I played miles opened up with miles away, played Mabel and then closed with the fuck L.A. song. And that was it. And then less Jake didn't play more songs. That was the encore. <laughs> 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 yeah and they they called this shit finger uh lesson jake did and that was nice because i was just still like no we're goldfinger <laughs> surprise everybody <laughs> so it was a it was a one-time thing then <laughs> yeah it was a one-time thing <laughs> <laughs> all that all that practice where we all listen to the songs one time together in the van no instruments allowed yeah how how did you do how how, how actually was the rendition i think we were awesome uh but i was drunk so who the fuck knows uh it seemed like it was good it was really fun uh uh to me when laura did the that looks like a tube of cookie dough part of mabel that was fun i don't know i think that we did good like less that jake didn't stop us after one song like we played all three songs so that was good it felt like it was awesome people seemed fucking stoked uh but i think it's because it was just you know it's a ska show people were stoked that there was Goldfinger songs happening <laughs> in whatever form they might have been. How did Goldfinger become the dare? Do you know? Do you remember that part of it? Yeah, Les and Jake and Goldfinger were on tour together. Um, uh, and then Goldfinger couldn't do like a week or two of those shows. So naturally, who's next in the Rolodex <laughs> <laughs> on the music industry? I'm just kidding. I think, uh, uh, yeah, actually, uh, Big D and the Kids Table were, were co-headlining on that one. Or not co, they, you know, whatever it is. What year was this? When was it? It was uh, 20, 2010, maybe? Maybe 2009? Maybe okay. 2008? It's, I don't really know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of when that would have been. I know Vacation wasn't out. It was pretty early. Like, we still didn't, like, we, we didn't have T-shirts at those shows. Bomb wasn't selling T-shirts. We were just still spray painting T-shirts. We might have had some vinyl, maybe, but we were still doing, like, hey, donate, burn a CD. We'll, we'll uh, spray paint a blank T-shirt at these, like, Lesson Jake shows. So I'm trying to think of when that flipped. So but that was probably, like, 2009, 2010, I think. Was that also the same time period where you were just allowing any audience member who would learn a song and had an instrument to just get up on stage and play. Yeah, that was the, I mean, that was the entirety of Bond the music industry. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was fine. I always wondered how that went. Cause I, I never saw you, you guys do that, but I, I'd read about it and I, I loved the idea. But I'm guessing half the time it was okay. And then half the time it was just total train wreck, right? You're guessing completely 
a hundred percent right. That is exactly what it was. The ones I can remember that were train wrecks was somebody at this house show in Minneapolis requested a song that we had not played in a really, really long time. And he's like, but I learned keyboard for it. We we're like, all right, well, we got to do it. And then we played and he didn't remember any of the keyboard. I was like, you fucker. You suck. And he was just like, ah. And then somebody brought their drums at one. And it was a show where it was me and Matt Kurz and an iPod. And so me and Matt were like, oh, yeah, great. <laughs> you don't have to play to an iPod. This will be awesome. And he was like, I learned. We were like, how many songs did you learn? And I know we played like eight or nine songs with, with this guy playing drums. Might have been might have been me and Rick. Shit. I'm realizing my memory is bad on this podcast. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Good thing we record this conversation. Then we'll remember what I thought it was. You just listen back to it later. You'll remember all of it. I think it's important to say that, I don't know, maybe th this might have 10% of misremembering in it. So, yeah, Scott Dream. Scott Dream. I got to say right off the bat, I think Scott Dream is just amazing. I think it's just a beautiful release. Thanks, Aaron. Straight up, I think it's just, there's like so much joy in this album and simultaneously, like it's the lyrics not only are the lyrics sad because they already were sad, but it just really, really comes through. Like, I think that's a thing with ska anyways, you know, kind of like happy music, sad lyrics. But I feel like it's an extreme version of that with Ska Dream. I think it's some of it must be the joy you guys are having playing ska and all the like all the guests that are coming in and doing a part or two. Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I never I, I never make that. I, I don't know. I like music that sounds like that. That sounds very like upbeat and energetic and has kind of sad, dark lyrics. Those are that's usually my kind of music. I, I like that stuff. Thanks. I'm sorry. It made you sad, though. Are you OK? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Actually, the first time I listened to it, I had like um, not slept very much the night before and I had to do it at a long drive. And wow, I just was I was just crying most of the time oh man well that sounds unsafe but i'm glad you made it through <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know songs on that record like like uh, the song no dream in particular was just like oh fuck these like i don't know this feels very some of it just th thinking about it again it's like oh yeah it's sad i guess but i'm thinking about that because people are telling me it's sad these days I'm a little bit unfamiliar with with No Dream, so Scott. I went into Scott Dream, pretty pretty blind. Sick. Bob isn't on No Dream, right? Bob is on No Dream. Bob plays trombone. He, he doesn't rap on No Dream, but he plays trombone. He doesn't rap though. Bob is on No Dream, and Baboso is on Scott Dream. The best was that I I recognized his rapping before I went and checked the hell yeah <laughs> the liner notes hell yeah, and I was like, oh, that's that's got to be Bob. That's sick. I was really stoked to go through the liner notes and not only see all the friends that were included in the recording process, but also the extensive uh, liner note list that I saw somebody describe as the contents of their CD binder <laughs> 20 years ago, <laughs> um, which I thought was a great metaphor for it. And I just wanted to, wanted to hear a little bit about just how people were included, who was included, and what ska bands, what influences you really feel like you took and put into this recording. I don't know. We want to include, you know, our friends who have been on these, like every, uh, like a lot of our friends, I was just thinking like, all right, who is not, who would, who would basically be fine being on a ska record, I guess. Or like who, that's not even the way to put it. Just like, who have I not seen actively talk shit about ska in my life? I don't know. Pretty much everybody that we've ever, I've ever made music with has been 
ska friendly you know so yeah just asked her friends and then kind of like went through the wish list of like people who we like had one degree of separation from so angela moore was uh i don't know i just asked mike park and mike park hooked it up thank you mike very much the part's so sick franz and ara were just happened to be in that studio in the other room while jack was mixing ska dream so they just played stuff on it so that was sick and then george from deaf heaven i was just like hey jack uh you want to just ask him and see if he says yes like i know that they've made so much music together and george was just like this sounds it was just like oh yeah i'm totally in that sounds awesome so yeah it was kind of mixes just like i don't know people who we've been friends with for forever i don't know this felt like a, like more of a like a very frenzy record uh which was cool i and i say that now after like dealing with dropbox and like 30 folders that are all named ska on it um, <laughs> and and all, oh shit and i also and also like not even like special guests but like fucking jer who was like the hero of new tone i feel like they played um trumpet and trombone all over it on every song and that rules and rick johnson who does sound for us played farfisa all over it too so that was a cool thing and i feel like that like it was neat to have the band kind of expanded a little bit you know yeah so that's that uh, and as far as like what our influences are, I don't know. We all just like this kind of music. We got on a Zoom call together and just kind of just like talked about like, okay, what would this one go like? And they were just like, what if it goes like, deal, 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 deal. We're just like, okay, <laughs> done, move on. We have just like a Google talk of like, like, oh, what if we do like a Suicide Machine Z thing? It's just like fucking great. Or like, okay, let's do like that, that kind of rim click beat or like, let's make this part a dub part. Like we would just kind of, really talked through it and then like we kind of like hashed out all the influences and tried to put it all together it's cool because dan p who's a fucking ska legend like uh was writing horn parts for this and stuff and kind of helping bring out that like british two-tone like 80s vibe and that that was really cool uh you got kevin is just such an incredible drummer john who's playing his ass off on this and mike who's always just bringing a whole other like element to it but we all are coming from the frame of like let's make a good punk ska record let's do it you know what i mean like we just wanted to make a good one yeah and i think maybe this is what adam was saying is that like every song is like it's a different it's not like you went let's do suicide machines-esque album it's like every song was approached as its own thing with its own sort of style of ska and i think that's what's like something that's like amazing about this record Thanks. I don't know. I think there's a way that this could have gone where it would have just been like a two-tone, like, I don't know, kind of like just more like either reggae, Jimmy Cliff kind of thing, two-tone thing. Uh, but like, we're all really entrenched in punk ska. And I feel like that's a thing that uh, when I was driving up to do that Bruce Lee band, Division of the Heartland, that record, I was listening to a lot of my old punk ska like CDs to get like in the mode, you know? And I was just like, these are all fucking great. It just kind of, they could thinking about that stuff and that's that was like in there as much as like the ska that you're basically allowed to like in your mid-30s like uh you know i was also thinking about that and then just we're all thinking about i it brought up just a lot of nostalgic vibes so that probably just came through just of like literally being in ska bands with john when when we were fucking 15 you know looking back on those earlier ska punk bands is there one that you can think of that doesn't get talked about much that you think is exceptional 
there was a band from Baldwin called the posers who were the band in our high school who I always thought were, who were like a punk band with horns, but like kind of like a, almost like an oi punk band uh, with horns still. They were sick and everywhere they played would get completely shut down. It was always the most fucking rowdy thing I've ever seen in my life, but they put out like one tape and that's it. And uh, some of those guys went on to be in big bands uh which is crazy and i don't know i like that's a band that I, that's just the first band that comes to mind uh i always think about animal chin too because animal chin is so good but like then we're kind of getting into like the really recognizable ones there's a really good band also uh friends with us uh, and some of them end up in bomb called premarital sax from long island <laughs> uh, yeah which is wild wild name but a very good name for a ska band and uh sean mccabe who's been in a few bands with me and uh who did that band was just like he's a really good songwriter and he writes really like heartfelt good songs he put out this uh, like again irish punk ep this last year for a band that he has that i occasionally do stuff in called the rocky sullivans and again something that you're like huh i don't know I don't know if that's going to be good. Like it's, and it's fucking awesome. It's amazing. Sean writes really good songs. So with the, the whole ska pun thing with, with um, what was it? Premarital sax. Yeah. <laughs> so with this whole record, you went ahead and renamed all the, all the song titles as ska puns. It was a really funny conversation. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that? It was just, that was like the end of that call when we were like when we were burnt out and figuring out what the songs should sound like we were like all right we got i bet i was like okay we got to make this whole track list ska let's go what do we have uh and everybody just thrown out like huguenot thrown out just doing pick it up like that like fame was really funny it's just like i don't know like just being like old skr rap that we just make that capital just like oh that's bad we should do it i forget who fucking said the rudy of breathing is just like in like oh my god oh just horn line really hurts me horn line <laughs> is so dumb like they we, we were just like let's make it let's make it so dumb just because it was i don't know we we're having a really fun time doing it rick johnson came up with monday at back to the beach like the inside baseball one. I don't know. I'm proud of those puns and I'm glad that you like them. That's not to say they're good puns, but I'm proud of them. I'm I'm just glad that you guys, that y'all committed to that. It's so good. Yeah. Do you remember any horrible ska pun band names that you've played with over the years? There's a band called the Ska Skank Redemption. I don't know if this is horrible. <laughs> These are just the ones that I remember. I remember Ska Skank Redemption, uh, like a scominable snowman, something like that. That Those are the two that, I mean, premarital sax is such a good one. It's kind of hard. Oh, it's amazing. One thing I like about this record too is that I would say like the songs I like best on Ska Dream are not the same songs I like best from No Dream. Interesting. It's like a different list of like, I think Pick It Up is probably my favorite song on Ska Dream, followed just behind with Leave It to the Ska. But B&B is like by far my favorite song on No Dream. But yeah, yeah, this, the other ones, I just some about the um, the way you, yeah, with Pick It Up, it's definitely the ending with Angela Moore, probably my favorite moment of the song, of the album, really. If you listen really closely under that, you can hear Laura on one of her 20 tracks that she sent me. She just sent one of her going, hi, I'm your best friend. It's me. Uh, and that's and behind Angelo shredding that whole time, there's that going on. Just FYI. So 
that's a correct good part of the record angelo's solo is so fucking insane he just like yeah he said he recorded over the demo and i was like freaking out i was like oh i don't know if this is gonna line up and then i heard it, i was like i don't fucking it did line up but i was like i don't care this is like the best thing i've ever heard it's crazy that part's nuts hope it don't sound too nuts this is like the first time i've talked about this record at all so mike set up set up the thing with angelo and so what so did you just say like hey um we want a solo on the end of yeah. the song do you mind like is, is that it the extent of it and he just sent back what he sent back yeah i just sent mike that i sent mike the demo and was like i was gonna ask him to solo over the end of this see if he's into it would you mind and uh then mike sent me back a solo <laughs> wow. and i was like okay cool uh but i'm glad it worked out that way because like the last fucking two days of like trying to record all these last little bits on this record were like really down to the wire so if i was like trying to i don't know do that then it would have been another thing to deal with it would have been bad so i heard the original plan was to actually release this on april fools but then yeah it decided it was even a better thing to announce it on april fools and then put it out on 420 oh yeah well i mean you convince yourself that any idea is a better idea when the first idea <laughs> doesn't work you know yeah uh we i mean we want to have it done by april fools and i i didn't really uh, account for how logistically annoying it is to make to like make a record through uh the internet to make it through like oh like file storage services basically and being like okay everybody upload something in this folder and then you put it in the session you get rid of the old one you're like trying to get all that together in a session from a million disparate parts and also like kind of work together on the parts and make sure that that is not just like okay here's a here's this we're done you know that we're all like okay well what's cool do we like how it sounds all that kind of stuff um, when you add in like the extra, I don't know. We don't even like fucking multi-tracking records. Like we like playing live, and it's like, oh, sick! Five instruments are done being recorded. Awesome. So like, not only having to multi-track a record, but multi-tracking and adding like that extra, you know, thirty minutes to an hour per file from like uploading it, exporting it, uploading it, downloading it, finding it, like all that stuff. It was funny. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. There's two two things on that album I wanted to ask about. What did Matt Embry do with the drums? He recorded the drums. He just recorded them? Yeah, we recorded as a practice space. Yeah. I just thought this, I thought the drums always sound really good on his records. And uh, I was looking for a place to record the drums. I live in LA, Kevin lives in San Diego, Long Beach seemed in the middle. I was like, and I, I was like, I bet this will be really, really fun, of course. And it was really, really fun. Yeah. Did you ever record in, in Matt's garage? No. Oh, that's, it's the best. Damn um. it. <laughs> the practice space was good too. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Okay, and then there's a credit, somebody's credit, credit is just doing additional symbols, I think. Oh, yeah, that's Ara from the Slackers. He, he's like, uh, just kind of, you listen uh, to pick it up, there's just like some like, 
ding-a-ling-a-ding-dings, ding ding dings ding a ling a ding dings and uh, they're kind of like bouncing back and forth in the speakers and stuff, and that's over like that you will not control jam. Uh, where Franz is uh, like jamming, ours jamming too. Yeah, that part's that part's amazing. I love I love the build, and and then it's still like a couple minutes before you can get to Angelo's solo. Yeah, thanks. That's cool, man. I was hoping that worked out. That song's. I feel like both recordings of those songs I'm stoked about, and both of them, as it's happening, you're just like, I don't know, man. They're I don't usually have parts of my songs that's like two and a half minutes of the same thing, <laughs> like repeating, you know? Uh, that was always scary. So we kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, did the seed of the idea started when you were doing Bruce Lee Band stuff and just re-listening to Scott Punk? Was that right? Is that when you started the idea of re-recording No Dream? Uh, no, I, I think it was just like, we were just... I was talking to Polyvinyl and just trying to figure out like, what else can we do? We put out this record that we like and of the list of ideas, doing a live stream on April Fool's Day and playing all the songs, Ska won. And they were like, oh, this, you should do this one. This one would be good. I was like, okay. And then when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, probably that's going to be a tough thing to fucking pull off uh, and we'll probably want to record it. So why don't we just record it as a record instead of like trying to like, you know, slap it together like that and that's just kind of how it happened i thought about doing this for vacation uh on april fool's day for the bottom music industry record i was gonna put out the demos from vacation uh but the demos was just gonna be the same record just with all the guitar tracks replaced with ska guitar <laughs> um and i i didn't get around to doing it and i'm glad i didn't because then we got to make ska dream and ska dream was really really fun so but like it all started just kind of like let's goof on this thing and then it was just kind of like uh, we could also like we could have fun and like not I don't know do that thing that like a lot of ska content of of our current time is where it's just kind of like being like is it this dumb is it this stupid it's like uh, that's not I don't you know what I mean it seemed like a fine line especially with the puns you know right yeah with a I mean it's it's such a dumb joke but then it comes full circle and it's a really good record. So it makes the joke that much better to like have this like super dumb joke and be like, Hey, I mean, how many bands have been like, Oh, let's re-record our whole thing, but as ska and, but then to actually do it and do it well and have it be a well-rounded <laughs> album that has, that has like, it's funny, right? I like, we thought that'd be funny to do. <laughs> it's so funny. And it's, and it, and it makes it so much funnier that it's actually good. Thanks. Thanks for saying it's good. I'm glad you like it. Oh, to answer your question, Adam, I think the answer is zero other bands have done this. But lots of bands have talked about doing it. I, I guess I'm going <laughs> to, I I don't mean, look, I'm sure the people who did this are nice people, but I remember when that uh, aeroplane over the checkerboard pattern came out. Um, and I remember just being really excited to listen to it and then really so bummed that they were just like not trying to make it good i was just like what if this was like sick though what if they like went in and made like a good ska record of these great songs and i was really nervous i was like i don't want to do that do you both like did either of you make that record no <laughs> but okay. i definitely listened to it and i had that same feeling where i, I was like oh yeah. this could be really good these are songs you know the songs the bones of those songs are so good that you could make a good ska record out of out of that album yeah and i don't i think the people who did it fell a little short yeah I, well i think there were like 
they were like making fun, you know. That's not what I, that's not what we're doing. And that's that's the thing. I mean, I, one of my like whatever bones that I pick <laughs> or things that you pick your bones. <laughs> I pick my bones. Though. One of the uh, you know one of the things that I, I get annoyed at is the how Scott Scott humor is this thing where it's sort of dictated by people outside of ska and it's all geared towards making fun of it this album is like clearly from the inside because you know you, you use the jokes but then you do it good like i think that's like that's what a ska person would do the ska, a ska person wouldn't they would do the, the non-ska person would do the airplane joke that would be the joke yeah I, i'm i'm with you on that and i think that like uh especially for a genre like ska where it is like one of the very few um, musical genres I could think of that allows a level of goofiness and allows a level of silliness. So there's already that humor in there. And then uh, it gets all mixed up when it's like being used against you by your tormentors instead of because you're like, I like making jokes, too. They're like, how fucking sense of humor, you ska loser. And you're like, hey, what's that? not really a joke also it's been I, I i don't know i'm exaggerating like a situation here but you know but that's what it feels like sometimes man <laughs> uh, i get i get comments online and from non-scott people and they say things like one time a guy said ska sucks and you should be embarrassed and i think that was supposed to be a joke oh but i mean i don't know what the joke is why aren't you embarrassed aaron <laughs> it's like Wait, you think that was a joke? I think that that's it. I think that's pretty face value. Adam, care to weigh in? <laughs> was that a secret? Was that a hidden joke? I don't know. I think it was just somebody being a bully. I pushed back on it, and then he was like, oh, no, I like Scott. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, so uh, I didn't realize it was a joke. It's a good joke. <laughs> kind of makes you think. Goes full circle. <laughs> Becomes something that really makes you think. I want to ask about the uh, the nightclub horn line that got added to uh, leave it to the Scott. So tell me how that came out because I love that so much. Cool. I think that you guys pull it up so well that it like gives me chills. I just like hear that the horns. You know, I don't know. How, it sounds like there's a lot of horns in that part. So Jerry laid down a bunch of trombones and a trumpet, uh, and I laid down a tenor and a berry sax. So we were just like, yeah going for it and there's like guitars on it too yeah we tried to make that big so that was going to be like our chris murray-esque song and it was just going to be uh me singing and dan playing acoustic guitar and so uh, we were like you know we got our scott dream meeting done with we had our 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 first list of song titles and dan sent me like the acoustic version that he was working on and then he sent like a just a verse like man but i kind of feel like it should just go in a nightclub like a really like what if it was like this? And then I was just like, yeah, Dan feels really strongly about this. And I know Dan makes the good music and this sounds like a good idea. And that's how it ended up in there. But it's fun because then Dan doesn't, Dan's like not playing horn on that. There was a lot of stuff like Dan wrote cool horn parts and like nudged everything in a cool direction. Dan was very much about like keeping uh, the, the parts of No Dream that were like recognizably like i don't know cool parts i guess like the metalcore and scram you know cool parts like that dan was very much like like you should make sure you like keep keep the good stuff don't like fucking completely go off the rails and like it's cool to do the tropes but like don't don't just fucking do that and that i think both of those dan like really 
nudged all of this in the right direction that way, you know, kind of guided it. Did Dan contribute vocals to the record? Yeah, all like the harmonies on the record, or, or not all of them, like, but they're aside from like the credited ones and the ones that are obviously Laura, like Dan sings the harmonies with me. And he did great. He played piano too. He played, yeah, he played a few things. He didn't play the horn, but he wrote a bunch of horn lines. And he sent me these MIDI horn parts that were <laughs> fucking sick. It was awesome. I was just like, this is going to sound weird. That put in, I was like, this rules. Did the MIDI horns make it in or did, were they just placeholder? No, some of, some of the MIDI horns made it in on Scram, but those were just placeholder. And the rap part of Scram, Jer played some real horns, but then the MIDI horns were also cool, so kept them both. So was the was the Jeff Rosenstock band the core band for Ska Dream with other people being guests, or was the core band a bigger band? You know, the core band felt like it was us. It was Rick Johnson, who's our front of house, who feels like a band. You know, like our, our band and crew, like we're... we're we're all in it together. You know what I mean? Uh, but Rick played on the whole thing, which is cool. Um, Jer played on the whole thing. So it felt like Jer was part of the band. Laura sang on so many songs. Uh, if Laura, if we had a Scott Dream band and I asked Laura to be in it and Laura said, yeah, I'd be like, hell yeah. I consider, even though Laura sings like a few, th- only a few things on her record, I consider Laura, Laura's part of her family. She's just doing, she's doing her thing. So yeah, I guess that's how, that's what I consider the Scott Dream band to be. And was the guests, was it, was it like an evolving sort of unrolling thing? Like you would start thinking of people and, and getting them involved and then just keep thinking of more and more and more? Kind of. I mean, I, I knew, I knew the spots where I wanted stuff. And then I, I guess when I was just thinking about gangs, I was just thinking of what it would be. I don't know what, what would be cool for group vocals and it was just kind of like slowly going where like I asked David and Elise, David who plays in Bad Moves and Elise from Oceanator to sing on Scram together. Um, and that's because I know I know Elise because of David. I know that they're like buddies and I thought that it would be fun uh, to have the two of them on a track together. And then when you start seeing stuff like that, you're just like, oh, well, I got to fucking see if like. Michael, Mike Park will play on something. I got to get Mike Park playing on something and just like, oh, I got to get a Neek on this. I got to get Gus on this. Like, you know, just asking, asking friends and trying to like the last day, just still asking friends. Ask, I asked my friend AJ non-regla who I've known since college and was probably like the first person who played me dub music or that dub music that I liked, I should say. But uh, yeah, he did all this like cool, all these cool effects and delays and stuff on horn line. Mm. yeah i like that yeah it's it, and it was cool to like collaborate with him on something because we were in a in a band with tim who also played drums in my brooklyn band we were in a band that never recorded anything uh so it was cool to have aj uh like do something on something so it was like you know just asking the friends sorry if that's a rambly way to say that man but then the the people outside of your circle like angelo and, and deaf heaven and stuff that kind of came out near the end we were asking people and yeah, when people said, yeah, we were just like, great. It didn't really come out towards the end. I asked, well, George's vocals came late, but we knew that it was happening. You know, if that, if there wasn't a sax solo there from Angelo, I don't know what, I, I think that part just would have been worse. I think it would have just, or it might've just been a different thing, you know? So I don't know. It, it wasn't like written with like, that we'll get this to happen. Although I will say, I think that part in pick it up, we were like, you know, hoping angelo would say yes we knew we had a connection so that was sick yeah and that's like lightning in a bottle right there it's it's insane it's crazy (laughs) it's so good 
So Jack Shirley had to make sense of all of this, all these <laughs> files coming in, right? Well, I I uh, I made the sessions, and we both had to make sense of it. I made sense of them all coming in, and kind of and got them all together and started arranging them. And then I sent that to Jack, and it was still weird, you know. Have you ever talked to Jack about his ska punk band? No, I didn't know Jack had a ska punk band. Yeah. He was in a band called Anti-45. Oh, I've spoken to him about Anti-45. Never mind. I forgot. Was it good? They're hecka good, yeah. They're on the heavier side. Can you find it on anything? I don't think so. I had I was going through a bag of patches a while ago, like old punk rock patches, and I had like four of their patches, so I mailed him a couple. Oh, shit. Do you still have one? Can I have one? Maybe. Okay. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the consideration. You don't have to throw anyone specifically under the bus if you don't want to, but did anyone say no to this project? Uh, nobody said no. There are some things that I wish fucking could have happened for it. Uh, honestly, the only reason they didn't happen was because I was just going so down to the wire to when this was like delivered. Like, like this when this was a crazy one, because it was just like the amount of time we took to write it and record it and mix it and get all those special guests was something like two months, maybe less than two months. Wow. I mean, the songs are already written, so I don't know if that's really that big a deal. It felt like a big deal because I was also working out Craig of the Creek at the same time. Uh, and those last like two or three days, some stuff was just like, I bet if there was more time, it would have fucking happened. But I'm really happy with how it all turned out. Like it all it all worked out good. Like we either just did, other, we probably just did other stuff at the part and no one will ever know where those parts are. B&B is probably like my favorite song of yours, of, of all your entire career. Tell me about like the lyrics. The point of the song? I don't know. It would have, I felt like it would have been weird to have done, to have made No Dream and to have not written a song, anything about being on tour, even though I think that songs about being on tour are generally the worst and I don't like them. And if I don't like them as a person who goes on tour, like who's fucking liking that song. So I was just trying to figure out a way to do that in a way that I liked. And then I just thought of those two particularly uh, fucked up, not like fucked up, but just kind of funny situations. Those two particularly funny days. One of them was just a rental house that we were staying at. I'm not going to, fucking put this person on blast or anything like that yeah we're just the person who let us in was really really chatty and told us a lot and i was just like walking around looking at like i don't know books and stuff like that photo albums middle of the night drunk on my birthday uh <laughs> and it was weird i was just like trying to be like okay remember a lot of no dream was just like while it was happening making sure i was writing so that i knew i would remember it good uh, and that second, the second verse of that is about just like playing a show to like 10 people in Germany because that day there was like a bomb threat, but the bomb was neutralized. But so everybody just didn't leave their house in Hanover that day. It was like a fucked up day, but we're just like, okay. Also, we were in Hanover. I don't know if anybody in Hanover fucking likes my band. So I was just like going, but we were still like going super hard and I like fell. I slipped on like somebody's coat that they put on this floor in this big like room with tile floor. Uh, and I slipped on someone's coat and like fell right on my knees. And I like felt like I couldn't walk. I couldn't like stand for like a lot of the show maybe. And then like I had to walk. And then like we stayed at this place that had these stairs going all the way up. I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. So we got the elevator. We're like, oh, this is bad too. Uh-oh. Uh, so it's stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? 
Yeah. Why does why did it feel like No Dream had to have a song about being on tour? Because I mean, that's what my life was for like three or four years. You know, I, I I don't. What else would I have been writing about? I don't know how people write about things that aren't like something that they're directly thinking about regularly. People who can just write fiction about like fucking whatever. I think that's so sick. And I have no idea to do anything like that. No, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's it's weird. Like you said, like there's not a lot of good songs or albums about touring, but it is like the reality for a lot of musicians. That's sort of consumes your entire life. Yeah. And I think and I was hoping that that would just be like a, a different perspective to come at it from uh, versus a like, oh, I miss this. I miss this. Just be like, this is just like it's like any it's like any job. You have moments of it that are really weird. It's also unlike any job because you get to travel around. And that's really fun. I shouldn't say it's like any job because it's weird. But there are those moments it's like that feel like, you know, you're with your family or you feel like you're, you know, you're going through the motions, except the weird motions that you go through is that you're like in this fucking six story building that has like a clear like uh i don't know brothel in the and the bottom floor the stairs don't work and you're like drunk you're hanging out with people and you think you drank absinthe but you're like am i really hallucinating i don't know that just seems like <laughs> like just like really uh the minutiae of it i guess is what i'm trying to say is that like every every like everything that anybody's ever doing and i think that we look at like fucking shit that other people are doing sometimes and we're like wow that's cool i'm like holy shit, uh, like, Julius Randle just scored fucking 40 points tonight. That rules. He's sick. But the also, like, Julius Randle's day probably has so many days that aren't, things that aren't playing basketball that's just, like, feels like regular shit that would feel regular to nobody else. But to him, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've, I've only, I've been on three tours with my old band, and it happened when we were, you know, 19 and 20. And, you know, for me, those are like, they were fun. Every single one was fun because it was three times, like three weeks each tour. Yeah. So I had like nine weeks of tour. And so I never got to a point where I felt tour burnout. Sure. But after the third tour, I roadied for Stink and Pickle on like a two week tour in the Midwest. And they were so burnt out on touring. It was so, so, but even for me, I was still like excited at the idea of, because I'd never been to most of the Midwest. So I yeah. was having fun. I was like, every time we got to a show that they we did sound checking and stuff. And then I would just like, go like, I'm going to explore this city or I'm just going to walk around for like two, three hours. And it was fun. And I never could convince anybody in the band to like, come with me. They're just like, nah. Damn, Mike wouldn't even go with you? No, he was, no, he was, he was definitely in, in tour burnout mode. And then most of the band got sick on that tour too. Getting sick will get you on tour. Oof. Misfits of Ska tour that was uh, Link 80, Amy 30 and, and the Chinkies. Mike was so burned out on touring at that point. <laughs> but Greg, Greg Alessandro, who was, who was playing dr- uh, guitar for the Chinkies, he would wake up early every single morning and bounce from wherever we were and walk around whatever city we were in, taking pictures and just exploring. And then he would get back like 10 minutes before sound check magically. Every single show. And meanwhile, everybody else is like burnt, tired, dirty. Like, <laughs> like I remember at one point, like Mike was so over being in the van with the rest of us that he was just like, t- he was taking trains from show to show just to like break up the monotony. Yeah. Being around a band that is burnt out on tour 
is or or just people who are burnt out on tour it it can be a bummer we i don't think any of us i think that was a big thing like we didn't want to ever get there i don't think we ever really did get there and i don't think we will we all like exploring like there's always someone who will go do something like that with you if you want to go walk around the city for three hours in our crew it's awesome and there's always someone who'll just chill hang back with you i love our band and crew i miss everybody it was interesting for me to do the tour also because like all my tours were like ultra DIY, like, you know, play, playing weird spaces. And, yeah, you know, sometimes we'd drive at night to get there. Sometimes, you know, we, we weren't on any schedule. Yeah. And they were on a very strict schedule. And sure, that's totally different. And they were staying at hotels. It was like, a, it was like, yeah, night and day experience. Yeah. The, the experience of doing like underground touring, I, you know, I don't know how long that can be sustainable for. I tried to do to be doing that for as long as I could. It's so much fun. I like, you know, playing at someone's house. You're or just like, I don't know. It, it, it definitely feels like a community and you feel a lot of, you meet a lot of cool, funny, like weird people. Yeah. And you meet great people doing other stuff too, but there's definitely like, you're all in the shit together when you're doing that kind of touring. Uh, but nobody looks at it as shit, really. Everyone's just like, this fucking, this is weird. Let's go, you know? Everybody doesn't look at it like that. But the people who I like, I don't know. What was the weirdest place or the most interesting place you remember staying at on tour? Staying at? Um, when we... I mean, just spending the night, not like a residence. No. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> So let me just make this clear. You don't want me to include the residencies in uh, <laughs> in this? <laughs> <laughs> I would say the weirdest place we say that, and it's not a gross weird place. Is that fine? That is just weird. That's totally fine. When we, when uh, our band did, when Death Rosenstock did our first like uh, tour for We Cool with AJJ and Smith Street and Chumped, Kevin's friend, whose name is uh, Change, he's a rapper named Change, and a C H at sign N G three was also like running this weed hotel where like people who would go to Denver for weed tourism, because this is before, like, I feel like weed's gotten a lot more legal over the last few years, but this is when it was like, oh shit. So he had a weed hotel, which was set up for people to like drop a bunch of money and just hang out in Denver and like smoke weed. But it was free that night and it had a swimming pool and like a balcony. It was like right in like the best spot in Denver. And then it also had like, just like it was all just like outfitted with like bongs and bowls and like a fucking like uh what's the thing that you do dabs with or whatever but it's just like such an unreal and we all we're just like all right man everybody can just fucking stay here let's party at this weird apartment uh that somebody's renting out (laughs) as a weird weed hotel this like bougie apartment where no one i don't know i think it's so like it was funny that it was a weed hotel and it's just like how often on tour like when you get to stay and there's like no one no one like upkeeping any rules for you that seems very very rare you know what i mean yeah like even if you're at a hotel fucking you can't go swimming whenever you want what's the weirdest place you've stayed at adam uh that's kind of on par with that we stayed at the sultan of oman's london house Oh, uh, this girl that was at our show was was the caretaker's like daughter, and so we and so we went back to this gigantic mansion, and we're like, "Is this cool? Like, are we gonna get arrested?" And she's like, "No." He like calls like 
a month in advance so that my dad can get the place all like stocked and cleaned up and ready to go. So you guys have free reign of the place. So we all had our own bedroom and our own bed. Wow. Wow. And there was no food in the place, but I think one of us found like a box of pasta in the pantry and cooked it. And and then we just all like sat around and watched TV in this like gigantic mansion. That's sick. <laughs> and then like slept in these gigantic beds and put our dirty butts all over them. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you just go right back into, into normal tour after that. Yeah, and then the next night, you know, you sleep in a squat. Yeah. We slept in shipping containers in Slovenia. I feel like maybe maybe that would be the weirdest. Uh, but they were like, I had like bunk beds in them. It was at the venue. And they were like, we got shipping containers for you to sleep in. They were like, all right. Did you ever stay at that place in Belgium that has the super crusty bunk beds upstairs from the venue? No, I don't think, I don't think so. Okay. Bomb didn't do too much. Oh, huh. I've played somewhere where we slept above a venue in Belgium and a lot of ska punk people were running the show and at the show, but I would not have called it crusty. So I'm not sure if it's the same place. Okay. This, this place was super crusty. The Donna's had played there like maybe the week before us. And I was like, America's premier crust band. I, yeah, I, thought, <laughs> I found it so weird to, to find, cause like we had run into them at the, the airport. And they were not wearing like their Donna's outfits. They were wearing their civvies and they looked like really preppy and nice. And we all looked like scumbags. <laughs> and and then I remember them seeing their graffiti in these disgusting punk beds that were like probably full of who knows what. And I just remember seeing seeing like their graffiti in these same nasty bunk beds that we were all sleeping in. See, why do they graffiti the bunk beds? Marker graffiti or marker and uh, and and ballpoint pen. Ballpoint pen is like the nastiest. I was thinking spray paint. I was thinking that the Donna's like tagged your bed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that, what the fuck? That's punk. No, it's, it's all like Sharpie and ballpoint pen. And then this band, Rat, Ratos de Portado, I think. They like they're like a crust band, I think. And they they their graffiti was all over the place too. Oh, and then there was this other band, Iron Lung. And they had just drawn pictures of different animals, fucking different animals all over the place. That was like, we were just following that on tour, like a rhino fucking a fish and a turtle fucking an ostrich. Like these just really crude drawings everywhere. There's these drawings. Um, I know that there's some in Canada. I don't know how far it goes of something that we were calling Dick Bird, which was just like a dick with wings. But that was following us on tour uh, for a long time. Were you and you guys were putting those up, or were you just finding? It was them? following, yeah. It was it was following us because we would put it up. Uh, no, we were just like, <laughs> no, we we found it. That, like these just giant dick birds everywhere, and you know, you see one, you see like two of those. Not not necessarily. You see one dick bird. You see them all. <laughs> no, like like you see like two like pieces of graffiti that are like following you, and you're like, oh, yeah. I know where. Like you know, that's just gonna kind of keep going for a few days. Did you ever play? Um, the bottleneck in i think kansas city no i don't think so no. kansas city was always just, tough for us because all ages so a lot i bet the bottleneck didn't do all ages right probably not yeah bar you definitely had a bar yeah it had, had i brought it up because it just has the like a super disgusting low ceiling like backstage ah. and i just remember like every inch being covered in graffiti yeah we had the same problem in kansas city i remember our booking agent Ozark talent they they were there and and Steve would book us 
Steve booked us in a squat once just to like see us play. And so we played in this basement. I just remember the, the guy that lived there was just the sketchiest, creepiest looking dude. And then as we were like loading out, these two girls were like fighting and rolling on the floor in this basement, like broken glass everywhere. Oh, Jesus. I was like, this is, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. With the notes on this record, you, you make a comment about people who like anything but ska. On my on the forward you wrote, you talk about uh, cowardly music press and elite <laughs> critics. I love that you said that because I feel like those people like you now. Do you feel like that's true? Uh, I don't think anybody who likes me is cowardly at all. And thank you <laughs> so much, everyone. <laughs> no, I oh what that I've like kind of got through that that wall. Somehow, I feel like I stuck in the back door of like indie cred kind of thing. Yeah, like people who would never consider Scott at all. They're totally down with you. You know what, man? Even though you don't play Scott now, but aside from this record. Yeah, what are you talking about? I just put out a fucking Scott record. Also, <laughs> I've scored three seasons of a television show that is entirely Scott. And I play in the Bruce Lee band. Okay, okay. Fair enough. You're, you're, the, you're the king of Scott. I'm Scott. I play Scott. <laughs> <laughs> i don't understand why it gets so reactionary whenever anybody brings up ska maybe it's being bullied about it for forever uh yeah i so that was also that was just the press release the thing that's on uh band camp was like what i i wrote that up i said hey polyvinyl send this to everybody so i just wanted people who were in that vein who might be ready to approach this record in a certain way that they don't need to approach the record at all. And it's fine. And you don't have to listen to it. I don't want to hear that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I think that, I don't know. I, I realize, like, talking to uh, Tom Brehan from Stereo Gum when we played Pitchfork Fest, and he was talking to me about the song Rainbow, uh, and a lot on the worry press cycle, if you will, I was talking about Rainbow, and everybody... That I was talking to was like, oh, so ska, what is the oh my like talked about it like 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 it wasn't a musical genre. Like I don't even it like I don't know what they were talking about, like, but uh like it's hard to say. It 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 wasn't like we played a song, it's not like, oh, you played a country song. It was like a completely alien thing, it felt like. Anyway, Tom Brehan was like, Oh yeah, everybody at like Pitchfork and Stereo Gum have like they used to like ska bands and then we all found Radiohead and that was it. That was like, I fucking, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I know that you, I know that you all liked ska. And then I don't know, like whoever decided that that wasn't going to be popular anymore, decided it. And then you all flipped, but I know, I know you're out there. And also it seems like, do you guys both feel like we're in a, a new era where it um, is no longer really okay and cool to be elitist and now people are like yo shut the fuck up we could like whatever we want have you noticed that that feels because that feels like very alive to me that vibe yeah i think that's definitely happening i think there, i think we're seeing sort of a 
both existing at the same time, but we're pushing towards the, the version you're saying. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it exists at all and it's like a valid point of view is like, that's like the first time in my life that I feel like, yeah, something could be, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be super polished. I don't know. I feel like with a lot of the, the newer ska bands, that I feel like the production value's gotten better on a lot of recordings yeah. and the songwriting's gotten better. Yeah. And so it's it's easier to defend like a lot of the the newer ska bands that are coming up because there's less to attack i feel like a hundred percent yeah and also because those newer ska bands are like they're already they're fucking ready for it you know what i mean and they're all just like yeah talk shit if you want like we have a ska scene it's been here you could call it the fourth wave if you want that's how we know you're a poser (laughs) (laughs) we don't want you here like it's fine and it's and honestly it's like that vibe is inspiring to me as someone who likes that kind of shit you know what i mean like i feel like there's stuff that's being sold to us as like rebellious and dangerous that is well way like not dangerous like i I don't know that might be a weird word to use but just like that's like is like the anti this or whatever it is like ska is totally that except we're just not fucking we're not trying to make a big thing about it (laughs) yeah yeah uh and i think that those the new i don't know the the new crop of bands currently that are kind of like bad time records everything i now i'm like trying to just list things uh you know what i mean <laughs> everybody listening to this knows the bands i'm talking about but like they're they're just talking about it not like they're ashamed to be ska bands like they're talking about it like they're proud to be ska bands and i think that that's fucking sick i think that like when mistress of ska and that kind of stuff was happening like all of my friends we were all like hey we all like ska our friends all like ska and we can all like hang out with each other and talk about this weird to talk about this fun thing you know when other stuff might not be as much fun and it's cool that like you know bands are in that vibe again cat bite kill lincoln bad operation all these bands are fucking good jer jer's record is gonna be crazy good oh yeah i love the couple songs they've already released yeah it's cool we are the union like is like all in on it now <laughs> it's great it's a good time so a couple of years ago i played an amoeba records christmas party where they the employees all start all do cover bands and you know it's 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 all record store employees so they're picking you know cool obscure stuff so there was like a cabaret voltaire cover band and some other super punishing thing and then my friend spencer decided that we should do an operation ivy cover band sick and we we did it to the to the point of like when we learned the songs, we made sure to like learn the mistakes in the songs too. Okay. So like we played it exactly like the recording sounds and the whole play, it was like, like, you know, 1130 at a 21 and over bar. Nobody in there was probably under 30, a bunch of jaded record store employees uh, on a Sunday night. Going ape shit? losing their mind. That's fucking right, Like, man. the whole place skink. <laughs> and, like, that was, like, such a huge epiphany to me. Yeah. Like, that if you play ska punk well and you, and you, you know, all those Operation Ivy songs destroy. Yeah. So playing those songs to that audience and getting that reaction was such a huge epiphany to me about about the power of that music. They, they all know those songs too, right? Oh, every single person was singing along. And so we, yeah. there's, like, that part where it's like, I'm in this business, you before you yeah. in this, and it's like, they drag that, they drag that one beat. Yeah. 
And when we dragged that beat, the whole place lost their fucking minds. That part's so good. Yeah. I was just thinking about that whole thing with, with you talking to the stereo gun people at the pitchfork. About Ska. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? <laughs> Tom is very, very nice. Uh, and he was, he was nice. It was nice of him to confess their, their checkered past, all of them. And now they're writing about Scott. Are you, are you both like stoked to see that like, because of uh, like the, these bands, the bands now are like getting coverage by like Brooklyn vegan all the time. Stereo gum occasionally. Spin magazine. Spin magazine. Oh yeah. That operation was in spin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sick. God, that bad operation record's good. Oh, it's so good. It's weird because I started writing, I started writing this book yeah. in 2013. It's changed since then. It's amazing that like the time, the era that I'm releasing my book in, there's so much energy behind Scott. You released a Scott record like two weeks before my book comes out. It's like, it's, I could never imagine that I would be releasing my book about Scott in the current atmosphere that it's getting released under yeah at a time when like sky is actually happening and people care again it's so strange yeah it's cool credit to all the bands who are like you know staying ska through all this adam credit to you (laughs) (laughs) thank you it's interesting too because i feel like a lot of the there's a lot of that group the younger group people younger than me they're the ones that are excited about my book like i don't feel like it's a whole lot of people my age or from my generation of Scott are the ones that are vocally being like excited about it and posting about it and stuff. It's an interesting book because you're basically talking about a lot of bands that never had any like thought that they would be that like their scene was going to be written about in some sort of retrospective, you know, like you didn't write a book about fucking minor threat and the Minutemen and bikini kill or like a book that's like this is how punk started or like how like it's just a bunch of people who are just like oh let's do a thing you know mm-hmm. which i love about it so much but i it's interesting that it's coming out now so you talked about like the kind of entering the in the, the indies thing the back doors that, that all really happened at worry right before worry you not so much yeah yeah d- it definitely well we cool we got a lot of press uh i mean jamie coletta really just kind of I think new writers who were good writers who she thought would really like those records that I was doing. And she just like kept on about listening to them. And then when they listened to them, they liked them. And that kind of got me in those spots. And and then worry. I don't know. We we got the pitchfork thing. And that was just a crazy thing that that felt nuts. And we had and we had a stereo gum album of the week thing that I felt like I was being mocked in. That it was like, this guy's voice is stupid and terrible, but <laughs> despite that, I like worry. Uh, and, <laughs> and then, uh, I don't know, if I'm being honest, when Post came out, it just seemed like everyone was like, okay, cool, We're, he's in, let's go. I try so hard not to think about any of that stuff because I'm, I'm really just like trying to stay on the path that uh i've been following since i was like 15 years old and just not like literally doing the same exact thing but just like keep that energy of like write songs when you feel a song coming on write it and like play songs that you like and try and make the album good and not really thinking about the other stuff so it's funny that like now that's a thing that i is there i know it's not going to be there forever and i'm always wondering which is going to be the one you know that loses everybody and it wasn't sky dream or was it we'll see that's why I call them cowards, because now they're not allowed to write a bad review <laughs> of Scott Green. 
or else you're a coward. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Antagonism. <Yeah. laughs> I'm just, I'm kidding. Yeah, after you put out a post, I was reading uh, The Atlantic. I read this article. I don't know if you read it, but it was this like intellectualized article about politics and, and music. And the article focused on post more than any other album and it, it focused on their albums. It was just so weird to me. Like they weren't wrong in what they said per se, but it's weird that you were like highlighted in this Atlantic article. Sure. Like that, you know, I just think about back to like seeing you at Nickel City. I remember when you interviewed me for like uh the some new either SF Week. New noise. No, no, no. It was like SF it was some San Francisco yeah. paper. Uh like I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it was like the one, the Chronicle. Is that something? I don't fucking know. I suck. There's a Chronicle, yeah. Anyway, you interviewed me for one of those things. Maybe it was Salon.com. Salon, we did a little while after that. And I remember, I remember both those be like, "Wow, I'm gonna be." That's crazy that I'm on those things. If it seems crazy to you to see an Atlantic article written about my politics, imagine how that fucking seems to me. I know. That's what I was, I was going to say. Did you know about Did you read that article? Uh, I probably did when it comes out. I'm bad. I look at all of them. I'm bad. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I might have been interviewed for that one. Was I interviewed or was it just because? I don't, I don't think you were. I think it was more like a think piece sort of thing. Hey, I, think about my music, everybody. The Atlantic says <laughs> you have to. <laughs> you know i mean i i i'm joking around but like i don't know like you were saying i talk about some sad shit and i think that like the the bleakness of the world is resonating in the way that it's resonated probably with all three of us over like our times as punks where we like find out that the world is fucked up and shit and unfair to people at a pretty young and early age you know uh, that were like open to a lot of the stuff, or at least that's how I found out about a lot of that stuff. I know that that's not the only way to find out about that stuff. Anyway, I think that that just vibe was resonating with people, and I was for somehow one of the very few people making like outwardly political music around that time, uh, which seemed insane to me. I remembered putting out worry and being like, I don't understand how no one else is writing about police brutality right now because I was just feeling it so hard that I was like you know write a song when you're feeling something and i just couldn't believe that there was like seemed so few and far between i was like damn ain't anybody else sad about this but yeah so i got interviewed in the atlantic or i've got a think piece about me in the atlantic did you see the pitchfork article on scott dream i haven't yet no it just talks about the song titles and it's very funny very funnily worded <laughs> and the nicest thing they've ever said about scott which is basically nothing so I know it's a little too early in the in the press cycle, but how has uh, the people that normally like you in the in the critics have they have they said anything? I don't know. Uh, we aren't. I'm not like pitching interviews on this one or anything like that. So I don't know. No one. I mean, I see that people like it. It seemed I, it got covered. So if it got covered, that means that they don't hate it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I could tell you that because I've put out like plenty of music over the last year and some of it gets coverage and some of it doesn't. And this got coverage. So it seems good. I don't know about press stuff, but I've seen people be really happy and that's been really cool. It was cool just kind of like feeling yesterday and, and from midnight the night before, just like, oh, wow. Like we're all stoked about Sky right now. That's a cool feeling. I know I, I've seen nothing but good, but you know, whatever. I follow Scott people on Twitter, so. When you see negative comments online, how how much does that stuff stick with you? Oh, 
I'm so bad. It shouldn't stick with me, but it does. I fucking, I hate myself. So I'm like, I don't know. Maybe in a way, those are my people. (laughs) And then also, Jeff, how are you so prolific? What do you mean? Like, you you put out so much music. I don't know. I guess it's just because I work a lot. And uh, that's probably a combination of, like, I'm an addictive personality type person. So, you know, I could get addicted to work pretty easily and really dive into it and i'm also working on something uh that is my passion that is the thing that i would be doing whether or not it was something that was like my job so i don't know maybe it's just because now that it's it's my job so i like you know that was like the only thing holding me back from just like making music all the time so maybe that's why because that was also my job so it'd make it double the tunes for half the time what's the worst job you've had i have a pretty i'm okay with with pretty much all of my jobs i mean i've had i've had jobs i don't like the horror story weird one was when i was like going uh, my parents computer guy's friend uh wanted their website redone it was like a like a website for uh senior citizens doing exercise i was like okay i'm gonna remake this website and i'm gonna make it cool uh but i think they just wanted seo uh, so I just sat there Googling like all the things related to senior citizens exercise, just like all the time with this guy and him being like, no. So it sees if you write seniors exercise resistance band over 35 workout, then I only come up number six in Google. Uh, and then if you type it this, I come up number, it was just that all the time. And then one day his uh, wife came in with smoothies and was like, do you want a smoothie? And I was like, yeah. And then she said, it has cholesterol in it. Do you know what that is? And I said, I don't know what that is. I think I've heard of it. And then the guy screamed at me. It's what you get when you suck on your girlfriend's titty. And I was (laughs) like, oh, it's like breast milk. I was like, uh, and then I just kind of like put the side and never went back. So that's like, that's that job. (laughs) He screamed that by the way, but (laughs) it's like, you know what? I don't know that I've even looked that up since. That might not be true. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Scott. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Scott podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. If you would like to pre-order my book, In Defense of Ska, go to clashbooks.com. It releases on May 4th, 2021. On that note, we leave you by saying, Ska, now more than ever. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. 
call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.